Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Michael to my leather face. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. And our very own Freddie. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you? Aha, uh-huh, you psyched me out there. I'm doing great. Going to do a pun about a murder uh, involving shrinking you into a dollhouse, making a Barbie joke, and then you, you die a very gory death. All right, well, going into Thursday night game, <laughs> Thursday night's game, the Seahawks were 7-0 and in the abhorrent, horrible, horrifically bad Action Green jerseys. Thank you. Okay, and uh, we finally took the L in Action Green. Can we finally get rid of Action Green? Eric, what do you think? Can we get rid of Action Green? Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I've been talking about getting rid of this thing uh, when the, the jerseys – were leaked and people were buying them. I was like, please don't ever play in those. Please don't ever play in those. And uh, here we are. I feel like they looked worse. It's time to just go back to the cool colors we have. Let's do it, fellas. Everything will be better. Russ will be instantly healed. So, Eric, uh, the Bobby Wagner is said in the past that he wants the uh, the blackout Seahawks jerseys, maybe with some green trim. Do you think that that's, that would be a good look to go for for our next alternate, or would you like to see them go in a different direction? Well, I mean, if I have my choice, I want the throwbacks, or I want the new Seahawks logo, you know, the one that was sick of getting his ass kicked. I want that on <laughs> a silver helmet. That's uh, Eric, what I would like. So, Eric, so the how helmet would you feel if it was called Black Shin Green? <laughs> Oh boy. Oh so, boy. and as far as Bobby Wagner goes, look at the uh, Dallas Stars of the NHL. Their their blackout uniforms. That's exactly what it would look like. Eh, it's probably okay. Yeah, I think that blackout uniforms would be cool, and I think the players would like playing in them, which is what kind of what you want, right? Like that's yeah. what, you want the players to be excited to play in these third alternates and these big games. Uh, yeah, so I would be into that. Uh, I I think there's lots of good options they could go. Throwbacks would be cool, but you do need to be able to change the helmets, and I think those rules are changing next year, right? Yes, yeah, I believe so. So so that's that would be a good time. Yes, next year would be a good time to roll out some kind of uh, alternate. But I think we also can have four jerseys in addition to having two helmets next year. So we could do throwbacks and something else. Uh, yeah, because I think you're allowed to have a third alternate and a historical jersey or something. It's I don't know. It's just getting it's getting stupid. So anyway. The only reason we don't wear our historical jersey now is because it looks like trash with our with our current helmet. And then um so I think I think if we start with we start with um we got to start with the defense. Okay, the defense, the Seahawks have allowed 450 plus total yards in four straight games, the longest such streak in team history. Right now we are 25th in the league in DVOA. We are just a defense in shambles, and I think that it would be a, uh, a disservice to start anywhere else than to start by start by talking about the defense. Our coach Pete Carroll, Peter Clay Carroll, I think he fancies himself a defensive coach, and up until this point in the season, his defense has not been up to snuff. Individual players have had good games, like in this game was no exception. Puna Ford was awesome in this game. But man, the overall play level of the defense is just not cutting it. Mistake after mistake after mistake. So Kevin, start us off. I gave Eric a chance to to get out in front of it with the uniforms. I'm going to let you lead off on the defense here. What 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 are you noticing about the way that the Seahawks, Ken Norton Jr. and Peter Clay Carroll's defense uh, is playing right now? Uh, I noticed that we have a defense that's easy to take advantage of. When Trey was out there, we had these huge, you know, legion of room, um, tons of space for white receivers to work. Even when Flowers was taken off the field, um, I think that Brooks is struggling in the type of zone coverage they're asking him to do. Um, this is a zone coverage that our linebackers have been exploited in for a long time. We've seen Bobby and KJ two quality veteran linebackers, both guys good in coverage, be worked and taken advantage of at other points in time. Throwing a guy who's a second-year player into that position, I'm not really sure what the thought was there as far as it going particularly well. Um, The zone beater plays are eating us up. 
uh, we got our lunch absolutely eaten as soon as we came out in uh, simple zone coverage again and again. In man coverage, we look a little bit better. City uh, Jones is just a is kind of a limited player. Uh, it looks a little better with him out there. It'll look even better once he learns the defense a little more because I think he's getting beat on uh, offenses. Good play callers are noticing that he's having trouble handing off players in coverage assignments. Here's my thing about Sidney Jones, okay, is that he was a fringe athlete already, like that kind of made up for it by being a pretty premier football thinker, right? Like he was, he made up for not being like the greatest athlete of all time. He's a good athlete. And then he has, he has had four years of just consistently being injured all the time. And lower body injuries. And you cannot, and you cannot tell me that, that, that has not sapped what, what athleticism was there. He could have had a great NFL career if he would have just never got hurt. Right. He would have just been like a slightly above average athlete. Like we're looking at a guy like, um, like, like Diggs in Dallas, who's getting an interception every week. Right. He is not the greatest athlete in the NFL, but he's a pretty smart football player who knows how to play the position. And then he, he's able to, to leverage his athleticism enough. Sidney Jones, I think is in the same boat where he, he need, he needs to be a better, he's, he needs to be a better athlete. He cannot make up for for how how much he's he has to either give too much room or he can't recover fast enough. I don't know. Our secondary looks like a mess, man. Yeah, it's yes. just and I feel like that the play calling is not helping that. Um, it seems like a defense once an offense figures out what we're struggling against, they can just run it over and over and over again. We are dead last in the NFL at covering short routes, routes that are 10 yards or less. So what they clearly figured out is we're cheating in order to not get beat over the top, you know, beats toxic differential. And instead they're nickel and diming us all the way down the field. Um, We are one of the worst teams at covering running backs, which kind of melds with that. We're one of the worst teams at, covering uh wide receiver twos which means that we're probably double teaming uh the main weapon on a team and the secondary receiver is able to work his way free against whoever we're putting against them so i just feel like it's a mixture of the scheme relies on having kind of plus players and we don't have plus players and therefore we neither have a scheme advantage nor a player advantage. Here's something that bugs me, though, is like, yeah, we're 31st against short passes in DVOA, but we're 26th against long passes. So or 22nd, I mean. So it's not even like, we're good. Uh, oh, we're, we're good at stopping long passes. We suck against that, too, because in every single game we see it, some guy gets failed to get to get passed off. Some guy gets passed off poorly. And then Quandre and Trey Flowers or, you know, Trey Flowers, rest in peace. Thank you for your service. We'll never see you again. Um, he has been cut because yeah. he thinks that he can catch on somewhere his else. Request. <clears throat> or maybe we'll come out tomorrow that he got traded for a six round pick because that seems to happen with people getting there, cut. Th- another thing, too, is there's not one zone of the field that that we're good against. You know, passes to the left against the Seahawks, 25th. Passes to the middle against the Seahawks, 26th. Passes to the right against the Seahawks, 26th. There's just nothing. There's not one area of the field where I'm like, oh, this is the. At least this is consistent. The, this is the kind of play that that we're good against you know this is the kind of play that we can we can really get after it's just well, no nope. and i feel like our pressures are a lot more consistent than yeah. early last season and much better than the season before it's just when they can routinely get the ball out in two and a half seconds because we aren't covering then you end up with pressures and no sacks i feel like the only area we've improved is we're not getting destroyed by tight ends anymore like like that's that's one thing but it's well, just, maybe, maybe that's it's just... just by default because it's so easy to throw to everyone else. Honestly, <laughs> I actually think it's because uh, that's something that Jamal's good at. And that's covering, not covering the tight end. That, yep. I think that he's used frequently to cover a tight end. And right now people want to only notice when he's not doing well in coverage. But that is something he's good at. And when he's all over a tight end, they just don't throw at the tight end. I mean, people are all over Jamal Adams coverage. And he was targeted like three times last game for 18 yards like it yeah and yeah, yeah he were, didn't get his head around on one throw to Deshaun like that okay. that throw too like I wouldn't even blame him for that that was he was running so Jamal Adams what is what is he good at he's good at reading the play right this is like his great skill and if you watch any like thing where he's talking about football or watch like that like when he does his fit he did his film other uh, film breakdown on YouTube right what is his great skill his great skill diagnosing the play and then Jamal Adams so he diagnoses the place he's okay this is where this 
this play is going. I'm going to run. I'm going to run the route, which is something that you see defensive backs do all the time. And it's good. It's a good thing to do. So he runs the route. He gets to the spot where the ball is supposed to be. And then Matt Stafford makes a garbage throw. And and yeah, okay. So then Deshaun Jackson, who's a crafty veteran uh, and and a guy who who can make plays like that, makes a good play on the ball. But that was not like a, a negative should also be noted, the only reason there was so much room for Deshaun Jackson to kind of let come back to the ball was because Sidney Jones was beat by like nine steps. Yes. Yeah. He got yeah. roasted on that play. Yeah. I, so Adams had the over the top. 100%. I would give that. If, if I was crediting who was followed, that was, I would say Sidney Jones. Like the 100%. I, but it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like it's just, it's, it's so the way that this team is playing right now, it's everyone is part of the problem. Right. It's like, yeah, like I said, Puna at the top, Puna Ford played pretty good in this game. Got three, three pressures, had a couple run stops, played really good, but it doesn't matter. Like no one's off the hook completely. Right. Everyone in everyone in this defense has had a bad week. No one has been consistently great every single week. And I mean, yes, I do believe Bobby Wagner is must be doing good, but like, I just don't notice it on the field like I usually do. Right. Like, Usually I can point to something and say like, these are the things that Bobby's doing. That's awesome. And now this year, I mean, he's even the tackling has, has a a slowed down, right? Didn't he have two tackles last week? Yeah. I mean, just, 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 just tough, like tough, tough, tough stuff for this defense. Like, I, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. Everything seems out of sync. Everything seems broken. So Eric, uh, do you have any hope for the Seahawks defense or, or do you, or, Eric, how do we fix it? Eric, do you have any hope or is it, or is it, or is it pretty, uh, pretty bad news right here? Is this, do, do they need big changes? Ah, uh, that's a, that's a tough question because, uh, in the picks podcast and at the end of this podcast, I'm picking, you know, I'm not picking the Seahawks every week because I don't see that I have, I'm not, I have no faith in them. And with Russ gone, my faith is definitely different on offense so do i have faith in the defense no i don't it needs a complete overhaul starting at the top and that top it belongs to whoever's calling plays let that be Pete carroll let that be ken norton jr uh one of those two gentlemen needs to say this isn't working and we need to change as kevin said before we are getting so wait are you saying enough is enough and it's time for a change Uh, and I want change. He's the king of words. Woo. So as Kevin said, we are getting decent pressures. We're getting pressure earlier than we were. Even if we're not getting home on these, the pressure is there at times. Um, I don't think that rushing Jamal Adams, every other play like we did last year is the answer, but you know what? I take that right now over what's going on because that was at least something that was disruptive. Turning Jamal Adams into a defensive end is not good, but it's better than what we're doing now. That's I, I agree. I am way more into that because <laughs> right now we are a base defense in a Madden game. But well, no, you're exactly right. We're not doing any motion or anything to throw off the offense. They basically don't have to read anything once we come out of like the snap. Oh, like we're we're purely reactive. We're giving them nothing they have to react to. Yes, and when you would you'd watch during the Legion of Boom era, everyone would say, "Oh, all we do is we play cover three. It's simple cover three. Sometimes we run into cover one, uh, but it's more or less a cover three. And it made it sound so simple. But when you watch the tape on the cover three, especially the Legion of Boom cover three and how that works, it's pretty complex. Where the zones are, how the zones break up, where people need to be, how that interacts with blitzes. It's really complex. Now. I see that we're just playing a modified cover two that is a base defense all the time with no looks, no anything. Uh, It's, it's disheartening. And we also have zero cornerbacks except for me and, or Kevin, whoever makes the team tomorrow in our tryouts. Well, I was also going to say the, that LOB defense. Okay. Yes. There wasn't that much to react to except for, you know, the six or seven guys that were top three at their position in the NFL. That was definitely something they had to worry about. Yeah, but it was also saying every <laughs> my point on that, Kevin, though, is that everyone talked about how simple it was and it was pretty complex. There's nothing complex about what we're doing here. And I think that bugs me is that like there this team is not generating a lot of pass rush. It's like we have uh, if you if you cut out to only players who play a lot of snaps, the Seahawks have one guy in the top 50 in pass rush productivity, and it's like Carlos Dunlap at 5.9%. Now, if you cut out to a lower amount of snaps, Darrell Taylor's in the top five 
He's fifth in the league in pass rush percentage. He gets home on 10.7% of his snaps for either a pressure, a sack, a hit, or a hurry. So I do not understand why Daryl Taylor is not playing more. It doesn't make sense to me. This is a tool that we have that could improve our defense. And he has only rushed the passer 79 times this year. Like, get it going. Get him out there. Like, he should be at least, uh, he should be at least 105. Like Everson Griffin has 105 pass rush snaps this year. Josh Sweat has 119. Matthew Judon has 103. Like these, this, these are the kind of numbers. I don't expect him to be up in like, you know, the highest air, like Miles Garrett and Chandler Jones, right? Like in those, those workhorse Daniel Hunter kind of roles. I don't expect him to be that high, but he should be playing more than he is playing now. He is, he has proved on the field. Always compete, right, guys? He has proved on the field that he can do it, and it is something that the Seahawks could do. In the last game, he rushed the passer 13 times and played on 22 total snaps. He got four pressures, one sack, one hit, one hit, and two hurries. Like This is a guy that we can use to really put pressure on opposing defenses that the Seahawks are just not playing so that we can instead give LJ Collier 19 snaps and Kerry Hyder 39 snaps and Rasheem Green 48 snaps. Um yeah, let's give the guy who got one pressure 27 pass rushes. Like it just it's just mind-boggling, yeah, right? There's no there's no sense in this defense and what we're doing. I Nothing. I can't diagnose it because I don't see any logic in anything we're doing. We have all agreed that snaps where Ryan Neal is on the field with both other safeties are good snaps, right? Like we've all agreed when that when those players are on the field together, they, it, it works kind of good. Ryan Neal was on the field for six snaps last game. Like it just, they don't, they don't, they aren't mixing it up at all. Or if they are, they're, they're pushing all the wrong levers. Right. Like, and I think part of it is they're using Jamal kind of as a, as a linebacker. And I feel like they don't want to put Neal out there. Cause that functionally puts us into dime and going dime when you're trying to stop the run is a bit of a problem. Well, the counter to that is when Jordan Brooks is out there. Yeah. The guy's kind of a tackling machine, but we're still getting run on. And the big thing is we're getting murdered in the pass game. So having Neil out there and being able to free up um, box safety responsibilities for Jamal a little bit more often. I don't know if that's that big of a downgrade from having Brooks out there right now. And I like Brooks as a player. I just don't think that we have the pieces around him to be able to allow him to flourish right now. There is no team in the league with really bad rush DVOA that I think is like super good. And the Seahawks, I would include in that, like the teams that are bad at stopping the run, uh, like if, and the thing is, is the teams that are good at stopping the run, they also are usually good at stopping the pass. The exception to this is Indianapolis who sucks. (laughs) (laughs) So, so like, I, I just think like, just, just sell out to, to stop something. You know what I mean? Be good at something. Because like, I think that success in one area will will give you a chance to have success in the other area. If we're just killing them against the run, they're gonna they they it becomes it becomes what they become one dimensional, right? And then you can prey on that. Right now, the teams can just do whatever. Like Kevin said, they could do whatever they want against the Seahawks. It is just a free reign to 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 run to pass whatever. Like I would not be surprised if this week Najee Harris, you know, goes off against the Seahawks for 110 yards while at the same time, Deontay Johnson has 11 catches, right? This is, this is the kind of thing that can happen to the Seahawks because every team can do whatever they want against the Seahawks defense right now. And it's just, it's extremely frustrating to, yeah, we're not dictating anything. We're not stopping anything. We're reacting. They make a catch and we tackle them. The, uh, the opposing team's, Uh, catch percentage is ridiculously high like we have situations where the pass rush or something might create a situation like where Stafford overthrew the receiver several times uh, on Thursday but if you go back and watch that Thursday tape which Nathan I know you watched it pretty recently how many times did Stafford uh, overthrow or undershoot a wide open receiver yeah well he was not that good because he he was hurt you know and so it's he was obviously dinged up and it's just it's frustrating. Yeah, so it wasn't something our coverage was doing right. It was something where again, we were in basically a trail technique with our defensive backs and allowing them to make the catch and then just, you know, keep them from running after the catch. One, well, one no, go ahead. That's still like a first down every time they catch it. So, yeah. allowing 10 first downs is a 100-yard drive. Like, come on. 
And one thing too that's frustrating is like this team is actually pretty good on third down uh, on defense. We're seventh in DVOA on third and fourth or sixth in DVOA on third and fourth down, but we never get to third and fourth down. So it's probably like the tiniest sample because we're 32nd in the league on first down. We are dead last. Did the, did the Kraken do something, Eric? Oh, I'm uh, sorry. You can hear my wife. I can definitely hear it. I, and I, I, say, I, I have the door closed. And it, is, it is three to three, though, now. Yes. So, yes, it uh, is. Kraken watch. Exciting. Here we go. All so right. um, we're, we're switching. Welcome to From the Kraken's <laughs> Den. Oh, um, no. No, we can't do that. As, hey, um, as but, long as they don't sign Trey Flowers, it's going to be fine. But we're dead last on first down. We're just not. We are not a good defense uh, or on early, early in the exchange. And so... It's it's just rough. It's just I guess it's so we, hard to we're, watch. We're beating a dead horse here. There. What is your quick fix, Nathan? Kevin, Fi- I'd like to hear both of you. What is your fix? Uh, get a time machine. Go back in time to the off season. <laughs> Fire Ken Norton Jr. and hire Dan Quinn because it the the thing that's most infuriating to me about this whole situation is we talked about it last year. Why is Dan Quinn not here as a defensive yeah. quality control coach? Why is Dan Quinn not coming in to help uh, kind of shore up this defense? And then Dan Quinn goes to Dallas, takes a bunch of talent that I think is. It's very okay. He added Micah Parsons, who I'm going to openly admit is extremely good. I'm not denying that, but that is like the only big addition the Cowboys defense made this offseason. And they went from basically the dirt worst defense in the whole league to top 10. And that, and Dan Quinn deserves a lot of credit for that. And Mike McCarthy deserves some credit because he has brought in good coordinators on offense. Although I, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't tell me that he really had a choice in the offensive coordinator. I'm pretty sure that. That Jerry was like, "Hey, you're keeping Kellen Moore. <laughs> like this guy, this guy knows what he's doing." And then, and then he brings in a good defense coordinator, and and fi- he was able to fire his defense coordinator last year and bring in a new one. So now I'm like, it's frustrating because for me, uh, I want to, I want to, uh, we need to turn over coordinators faster. These guys have way too much rope to hang themselves with. We give these guys unlimited chances to make mistakes and never really. And it's just it's it's frustrating. So yeah, fire Ken Norton Jr. yesterday. Get him out of the system. I don't want another accountability meeting. I'm done with that. Okay, that that was last year. This year, the accountability meeting is with Ken Norton. It's to say you need you this defense is not running right. You are gone. Here comes a new defensive coordinator. I don't really even care who it is. It could be Pete Carroll's son. I, I don't I don't care. Bring in a new defensive coordinator. Um, do you have a guy in mind for that, Kevin? If they did a midseason firing, uh, honestly, I don't know exactly who they would end up picking up. I haven't really looked into it for midseason defensive coordinator shifts. I imagine it'd be somebody in building. Um, a, Steve Spagnuolo ended up with the Chiefs, right? He was a free agent this offseason. Yeah, Spags has a Spags has a job. Or a couple of seasons uh, ago. The thing uh, is, I I feel like that you're right on the note that. And you listen to Trey Flowers and you listen to some of the defensive players, they clearly are not bought into the scheme either. And so whatever's happening in that coaching room, if the players aren't buying in, then it's not working. Yep, so whether the scheme is good or not doesn't matter if the players don't have faith in running it. So even if they want to say that, hey, this is working, well, you assembled a team that doesn't think it works. So guess what it's not going to do? work so what i would like to see happen is i do think there needs to be a change in um defensive play calling uh whether it's pete taking a more hands-on role whether it's ken norton jr getting a demotion and bringing somebody in i don't know what it is but whatever it is there needs to be some change at that level and then what i would like to see is the team to pick something to become more dynamic at uh with jamal adams skill set Running more like cover one with Jamal Adams in the old Cam Chancellor robber role might make a lot of sense because when you put him in the box in coverage or in pass rush or against the run, he's a really dynamic player. So if we want to start running like cover one robber concepts out of a nickel formation where our underneath defenders are running kind of man, that's something that I think could be interesting and it would allow for... If we were to bring, if we were to switch Neil and Brooks on and off the field, we have Ugo and Blair with different skill sets. Our personnel packages might be what gives the offense something more to think about, because depending on who's out there, you might have different issues and then mixing up who's on the defensive line. But the looks that we're running right now, where we're trying to do kind of five pass rushers, but a defensive end drops into coverage for like, 15 snaps a game and weird stuff like that 
It's not working. It's not fooling anyone. They're basically just going, hey, if the defense event drops into coverage, throw at that, unless somebody else gets open. So it's not. It's clearly not fooling anybody. I think we need to, if we're going to have a simple scheme, we should have a simple scheme that everyone can execute at a high level. We neither have a simple scheme being executed at a high level, nor a complex and intricate scheme that's tricking the offense. Wade, Wade Phillips, that's the guy, by the way, that's just sitting at home <laughs> that, that we could bring in. Because at least the defense That would be line, insane. At least also, the we'd have the oldest in. coaching staff ever. Yeah, he's like Even with Waldron. Yes. He's, he's 74, yeah. But I, I, I mean. That'd be awesome. That dude's exactly. awesome. Yeah. He, the, at the bare minimum, the defensive line would be ter- terrifying. Like they, <laughs> he instantly, he instantly makes defensive linemen play better. He knows what he's doing there. And that, that would be a huge step up. This defense just needs to do something good, right? Now we go to the offensive side of the ball where the story of the game was mallet finger. Mallet rubber finger. I actually did a bunch Brian of research mallet on this finger. finger. Oh. All right, tell me about mallet finger, Eric. Let's hear it. Okay, so uh, this isn't so much mallet fingers. What happened with Russ's hand? So, uh, looking at the medical reports, they uh, he had surgery. He also had pins put in. So this surgery is not mm-hmm. uh, something that you would have pins put in. And when a pin is put in, it's because there was a bone break of some sort. Now, Russ did have a fractured knuckle. They said uh, Pete referred to mm-hmm. it as a knuckle thing. Uh, the ligament may have his been hand comp- fell off. Yes, hand fell off. Uh, that's had. I'd take the Luke Skywalker hand. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so uh, basically, he has a the the ligament tore off, which means it's not a toughness issue for Russ. As we anyone who knows Russ, that's not the issue. He could not grip the foosball, so uh, they had to reattach that and then put pins in to hold the knuckle in place, which tells me that it was a much worse injury than just what it looked like on TV. Uh, that could have been an old injury. It could have happened earlier in the game. Uh, something that he could have played through had he not got that mallet finger. Yeah. His, the but old, that four to six weeks, that four to six the old weeks. Mallet, saying, the old mallet finger. Mm. I don't know if four I, to six weeks is accurate. It, so, it may be longer. Yeah. So the, they, uh, they said that it could be short on the shorter end because Russell Wilson is a great healer. Well, Which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's not Russ. It's the vitamin water. He's got on, like three levels in cleric. He's a great it's the, healer. It's the nano bubbles. Uh, but I, I'll be honest. Until Russ left the game, he was playing pretty good. He was having a, a solid, if not spectacular, game. I was I was pretty happy with how he's playing. The game was close. Um, it was definitely within reach, and it was st- there were still multiple points in the game where I felt like we could have we could have won. Right? It was not like a. Oh, it felt it felt one hundred percent an unwinnable game. DK uh, so was keeping his cool and pantsing Jalen Ramsey. That was let's, cool. Let's talk about our new our new uh, our new quarterback. Then our new quarterback is going to be Geno Smith. Uh, Geno Smith came in. He went ten for seventeen, one hundred thirty-one yards, touchdown. He had the interception that wasn't really his fault. Um, the, the 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 Matt Hasselbeck interception. Where Tyler does this thing where he feels contact and he goes down and he gets a lot of flags because he does it and. It's smart. It's also very annoying as a Tyler Lockett fantasy owner because it's like I don't get fifty yards worth of fantasy points when you just fall down like that. But you did. <laughs> but you did generate fifty yards of offense for the the team right there. Um, but he didn't get the call that time, and and the ball went straight to a defender who was running three yards behind Tyler and was able to just you know cut the ball off because he Tyler was no longer <laughs> there anymore. Yeah, there's um, an entire but, human being missing. Then that's so, the equation. So Gino Gino Smith, the first drive. I thought he looked really sharp. He comes out. He throws a lot of short passes. He takes that the defense gives him. He does a good job. When he is flush from the pocket, he does does a nice does a nice job keeping his eyes down the field, looking for passing lanes. Um, he do, he doesn't take a lot of risks. His average depth of target was like three yards shorter than Russ's, and I'm okay with that. I mean, I think that um, the biggest it was thing still you want eight point nine. That's respectable. You you want your backup quarterback. So one thing that's interesting is that his a dot on throws where he was not pressured was only six, like six yards. So when he was taking his time, guys were covered and he would throw it to a short on a shorter route. Right. When he was rushed, he actually got rid of the ball. Um, when he was rushed, he ended up throwing the ball farther down the field. So it kind of made his average, his average depth of target deceiving um, because he was throwing like long out of bounds passes to, to guys who were, covered and he wasn't trying to hit him anyway but i thought he was fine he, he kept it once on a on an option keeper which is like a, a, a joy for me to see as a seahawks quarterback do that and he beat the linebacker to the outside did you see that the linebacker was trying yeah. to do that thing where he, 
that linebackers often do where you ride the line between the two guys and then you 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 read the play too and try to chase the quarterback down because you're faster than him but it didn't work Gino was too fast and Russ could do that too if he wasn't such a coward so <laughs> I, oh sorry Russ told, Russ, told Russ, Russ told me that you should run straight at what things you are afraid of so on Twitter today so maybe <laughs> maybe uh, maybe I'm in the wrong but oh, the, maybe he coached up Thomas Rolls to do that I think Geno Smith. I think Geno Smith is going to play serviceable NFL quarterback for us, which will give us opportunities to win if our defense can be anything. Because that that that's the thing is that I do not think Geno Smith is so bad that that uh that he's just going to straight up lose us games by himself. Now, does it put a lid on our offense? Yeah, we're not scoring forty one points with Geno Smith. It's it's not happening. That he is not throwing it far enough down the field. He is not going to take those kind of chances. Uh, Geno Smith is going to to play a more conservative brand of offense. But I do think it could be helpful in the long run because if let's say over the next five weeks, okay, well, let's look at the Seahawks schedule, right? So the Seahawks, they, they play the, the Steelers this week, then the Saints, then the Jaguars, the Packers, and the Cardinals. Okay, so then Russ maybe is back against the Washington football team. If the Seahawks can go three and two in this stretch, which is I think pretty reasonable, they they can get to 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 five and five. Russ comes back. They they are right in the hunt with a pretty pretty uh, decent chance to. They play the. They would still have games against the Texans and the Lions and the Bears and I don't know what the 49ers will be at that point, but worse than us. They they look they look really lost as well. So I I think that the Geno just needs to keep the season alive because the end of the year schedule is very favorable. This team could be fighting for for a playoff spot down the stretch. I'm, I'm hopeful for Gino. It's really, it's not for me. Gino is not the part of this that scares me. It's, it's the defense. I have a lot of Gino hope. Now, Kevin, you, uh, you took it. So you guys both took it from different angles. And we'll start with Kevin. Kevin, you looked at, um, a, a, a player you thought had a similar, like running short pass profile that the Rams used in their offense, uh, as a backup. Yeah. So last season at the end of the season, when things were, kind of down to the wire. Uh, Jared Goff went out and uh, rookie John Wolford came in and the wolf. That's right. The Wolford <laughs> on Graham's clothing call it, street. Call, call in the wolf. Uh, shit. That's all you had to say. Um, so Wolford came in and I feel like his game profile is somewhat similar to Geno Smith, where he can be accurate on short passes on deep passes. The dude needs to be open for it to work. And he has just enough legs to get himself out of trouble. So I thought, well, let's see kind of what that looked like over an extended period. So Wolford had 44 attempts, uh, as starting quarterback for the Rams or, as the primary quarterback for the Rams. He was 25 for 44 for 260. He had four big time throws and one turnover worthy play. So that means that he was basically play action, big shots. He was able to take them and otherwise he was being pretty um, conservative with the ball. Something as Nathan, you said, Gino was doing on Thursday, his average depth of target was a share under 10, which is pretty similar. And the big thing is, he was working the middle of the field for the bulk of his completions, which is where most defenses are willing to give you some yards. And he only occasionally went to went deep 20 yards or more for a big play. And he was about one for three on those. That offense was scoring at about a 25 to 35 point. So ballparking 28 points. I'm sorry, 25 to 30 points, ballparking 28 points a game, which is an offense that you can win with, provided your defense is playing well. They had one of the better defenses in the NFL last season, so it worked for them. But I think we're likely to see pretty similar play calling. Try and get the ball out of his hands to help out the offensive line. Um, a lot of short passes to receivers that are being schemed open. I would look at a lot of slants to DK, which kind of tracks with what we saw. Um, maybe Tyler on some of the more late breaking routes and we're going to be working the middle of the field a ton. I wouldn't be surprised if that means a little bit more tight end work as well. Um, especially if Everett's able to come back off the COVID list, which he only wasn't able to because, well, we had a Thursday night game. If we were playing on Sunday, he'd have been in the game. Yeah. All right. 
And I, okay, one thing too, the Seahawks apparently are are looking into Blake Bortles, who is someone who would definitely know the Shane Waldron offense. He's been he was a backup for the Rams for a couple of years as well. Someone who has physical tools, but also throws into double coverage all the time and would drive all of us, I think, justifiably insane. Well, you'd hate that uh, signing, Nathan. Um, I, I I I like Bortles as a meme. He seems like a fun person to have around the team. If he's just there to be like a backup, I'm into it. I'm fine with him backing up Gino until Russ is healthy. If he's there to compete for the starting job, uh, I'm super scared. I would rather give Gino a real shot and as opposed to bring in Bortles as competition. That There's is... no point in having Gino on this team if that's what they were going to do. So I, yeah. I agree there. I just yeah. feel like that's bringing in another Gino Smith. So like I, I, yeah, there's not really a G- an upgrade there. A Geno Smith who who throws into double coverage all the time. Don't leave that out. Like and Blake doesn't B- know the team as well. Blake Bortles is so good at throwing into into coverage that and also like like uh, uh, my favorite my favorite Bortles thing is that he'll throw to guys who are just bracketed, like guys who have a linebacker in front of them and a safety behind them, and he'll just throw it to that guy right in the bracket too. He won't even wait for the window. You know, he'll throw I believe it the term you're looking for is he believes in his arm. Yeah, he really believes in his arm for a hundred percent. That is a hundred percent what it is. But uh, I would, I would like it for meme purposes. So yes, bring in Bortles to be the backup. I'm okay with that. Now, Eric, you went watch some Geno Smith. You went all the way back to Geno Smith college tape, right? Yeah, I what did. did. What What did you see in the in Geno Smith West West Virginia 2013? <laughs> this is so long so ago. This yeah, is so long ago. When I was looking at it, I was like, "Wow, oh, how time does go by." Because we're old, so it seems I mean, like yesterday. But the thing about that's weird about Geno Smith is he had he had a lot less hair back then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. Have you no, seen his hair? Yeah. You went reverse Tyler. He he's he found all of Tyler Lockett's hair. Yeah, <laughs> since, since then because his hair's his hair's long and strong now. And back then he was shaved head tight. He had it tight too, like like nearly bald. So anyway, what'd you see in Geno Smith's uh, college tape? So I wanted to go back to Geno Smith's successes because we can't really go about the preseason here. The preseason is a completely different game. And I don't want to go back to the Jets because it's the Jets. And Geno got, he just got run out of town via his own performance and just being a member of the Jets. I feel like that's another kind of preseason you can't really look at. I don't want to look at. I want to go back to his successes. So he had four years at West Virginia. I won't go through everything, but his last two seasons, I do want to go through. Because this is a guy who threw for over 4,000 yards both years. Uh, he had high numbers in touchdowns, which this is this is the, the big numbers that I want to talk about, is his completion percentage. Uh, we're looking at 65.8, 66%, and 71%, his junior and senior year, respectively. Um, for touchdowns, his junior year was 31 touchdowns, 42 for his senior year, with interceptions at 7 in his junior year, 6 in his senior year. So doing a quick math, that is still a guy who's going to turn over the ball, but not as he did in New York. Watching the tape on him, this is a guy who did actually throw deep. He could throw deep. He wasn't like a uh, a Russell 50-50 bomb target guy, but he could throw the ball more than 20 yards. He took what the defense gave him. He also forced some throws that worked. This is a guy who actually led a team. The thing I see with the Seahawks is... The good news is that he will be more opportunistic. He will take more of what the defense gives him, which is something we, we've we talked about with Russ. It's a problem. I make the the joke that is, I, I have some, some investment in this opinion. I think it's true that Russ maybe doesn't have the best field vision because he's he's playing around guys that are just so much bigger than him. You can you can see still pictures of this that are not, not cropped or anything. Uh, Gino may be able to see the passing lanes better. I think Russ is the better quarterback, but I think Gino has a chance to get us into that 500 football or maybe win a few. Here's the problem with Geno Smith is the defensive game plans are going to change and they're going to know Geno Smith's limitations and defenses can adjust to just watch out for that short play. Uh, does that mean more screens? Does that mean more tight end? Does that mean we actually send people deep and test Geno's arm? That's going to be really interesting to see. So real quick, uh, the offense that Geno Smith was running in West Virginia those last two years under Dana Holgerson is one of those super spreader offenses. Um, Those of you who've been watching Washington State for a little bit are familiar with them. It's about spreading it out, getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands, and they're playing point guard, which is very similar to the way that a McVay offense and by proxy a Shane Waldron offense works. So he's a really interesting fit for this style of offense based on what he was asked to do in college. It's a McVay. Interesting. 
My my biggest thing with Geno Smith, and this has been true, is that he doesn't take a lot of shots downfield, and he doesn't have gr- a great deep ball. It's just merely a good one. And everything else he can do, he runs good. He's, he was really fast. He ran a, like a four four five in the combine in the four fives. Uh, he's he's fast. He's strong. I I want to I want to I'm excited to see Gino. I think he'll be fine. Uh, I'm like I said. I'm I'm not worried that the offense can't get us to 28, 25. Uh, can't get us into the twenties. Even though I mean we didn't make it to twenty last week, but uh, I think well, I we think, all agree that interception was kind of a freak thing. Yeah, there was. It was a. It felt like we could have easily scored twenty last week. This team, this team so far this season has beat themselves a lot. We all agree with that. Like the, oh, yeah. they, we have really spent a lot of time this season beating ourselves. Um, we lost to teams that we shouldn't lose to, Tennessee. We lost games that we shouldn't lose, and now here we are, uh, two and three, same record as the Kansas City Chiefs, and we have to decide. We really have to decide, like what what this team, uh, what this team wants to be, what 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 this team will be next. And we sold our first round pick, so it's not like our record going downhill helps us in any way. Yeah, so yeah, we don't have a first round pick. This team has to try to win. So ways the team can improve. Fire Ken Norton, uh thirteen million dollars in cap room. The that's a that's a big one, I think. There's thirteen million dollars available. We could have traded for we had the the juice to go get uh Stefan Gilmore. Like that's a move that the Seahawks can make. And so guys that you see like De- Denver has four starting quality cornerbacks. They, you don't need four starting call, quality cornerbacks most of the time. And one of those guys is up for uh, – two of those guys actually are up up for contract next year. Although one is a nickel cornerback and we probably would be less interested in that. But like if the Seahawks want to go out and say, and give up a, you know, a, f- a fifth-round pick for Kyle Fuller, I'm into that, right? Like find ways to improve your team right now and Kyle Fuller is kind of hard to trade because he is due nine million dollars right so so teams have kind of balked at the idea of like taking on nine million dollars for for uh of his contract that's left but the Seahawks could totally do that we have 12 million dollars in cap room make the team better this year we talked about it before trade for a center trade for Kyle Fuller trade trade for a cornerback do something okay sitting on your hands is not uh is not going to help Speaking of Kyle Fuller, the other Kyle Fuller at center, um, if we do get postage back, which rumor has it that should be happening pretty soon, that's going to be pretty good. But I'm with you. I I think that something needs to be done to sure up the middle of this offensive line, especially when we're probably going to be leaning a little more heavy on the run. Yeah, I um, I agree. All right, let's get into next week's game. Next week, the Seahawks will be showing down showdown in a showdown at pittsburgh on sunday night football prime time game because it was too G- late to flex <laughs> gino gino smith in prime time just what just what i think nbc wanted was uh was gino smith in prime time a two and three team playing uh what's what's pittsburgh two, three and two no they're also two and three aren't they carrie yeah. underwood hasn't yeah. been this disappointed in a long time uh, yeah this is this is a this is a rough one for us for snf uh, probably not what they're looking for, but I'm kind of excited. I think this is a good matchup. It should Maybe be an interesting game, just the, they're, not necessarily a great game. <laughs> what looked to be a blowout is now going to be a game. Their defense, their defense is uh, is solid. Uh, it has not been spectacular like I think a lot of people expected. A lot of people expected this to be a world beating defense. It is not that. Uh, they have a they have Seahawks legend Akella Witherspoon. Uh, was, in a re- has not in played a, a game yet in a revenge game. Maybe 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 he uh, he gets on the field to get his uh, his vengeance. They're saving him for uh, this game specifically. Uh, yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know what they're doing there. And then then, then um maybe they they got him just for this so he can try to teach us. What do you mean you didn't watch any tape on Geno Smith? Well, I didn't think he'd play. Yeah, I, I don't know how to play against Russ. So then um their offense. So the problem with the with the Steelers offense, um Kevin can blame Ben Roethlisberger. Although I think watching. I watched some Steelers to try to get ready. I don't think he's really the problem. He is immobile, which is the problem, not because he's immobile, but because their offensive line is so bad. It is staggeringly hard to watch the this team, this offense. Like people always say the Seahawks offensive line is bad. And I would say watch the Pittsburgh offensive line and then tell me again how bad the Seahawks offensive line is because it is 
This yeah, is it's us with George Fant at left tackle bad. <sighs> like Ooh. I don't think like I think if Ben Roethlisberger was in the situation Tom Brady was in, he could be he'd be fine. He wouldn't be great, you know. He's the, I think greatness is out of his reach now, but he would be solid, just like Tom Brady is solid or even really good because Tom Brady eats only plants. Uh, he just puts he just puts his arm in the ground and starts regenerating his his life source. But but uh, but but Ben Roethlisberger, uh, he's. He still puts some zip on the ball. He just as soon as he gets hit, though, it's out. It's out of control. He he just like starts playing so bad. He just goes down at the slightest sign of trouble because he doesn't want to get hit. He's old and he's dinged up. And this offensive line is terrible. And so what we need to do is we need to hit Ben Roethlisberger over and over again. That's how the Seahawks win this game. The Seahawks win this game by getting in his grill and making him make giving him the yips. And how do you do that? Give Daryl Taylor thirty plus snaps, please. That is my key to the game. All right, that's 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 my uh, my analysis of Steelers versus Seahawks. Kevin, do you want anything you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, kind of what you said. Their offense is predicated on getting the run game going, but they can't run block. So I think this is really comes down to our front four to seven players. Like, like Najee Harris is really good. Like he is, really it good. It really doesn't matter when he gets hit three yards behind the line of scrimmage. Exactly. He's averaging four yards a carry, and he has to work so hard for every one of those four yards. They are just making him work so hard for all of those yards. And, and then I don't think I, that they have the personnel to really be flexible with what they're doing in either the pass or the run game because like like Ben can't do boot action. Like if he's rolling out, no. that means that he's bringing up his jersey and his stomach is rolling out of it. Does it, he just doesn't have the mobility anymore? Like <laughs> they need the offensive line to be so good that he can just be a statue and kind of throw the ball around because he could still throw. That's not the problem. He just can't move. He's so old <laughs> and stiff. He can't take sacks hey, because Kevin, he can't even fall down. I have a question so, for you. When yes. you pre-draft scouted, did you see Najee Harris as a as kind of a a, a big receiving threat? Uh, I thought that he was a guy who I didn't think he was a great catcher, but I thought if he got the ball, he's a nightmare to bring down. Yeah, well, he I don't know if you know this, but he he's leads legit, the league in dude. he leads the league in running back targets. He's 39 targets. He's actually 19th in the league any position. Um and But that's also horrible because that means your offense is running through shallow throws to the running back. Well, it's because it's because Ben Roethlisberger, like he he gets the ball and he's like, oh dang it, there's a guy in my face again. And he just dumps it off to Najee. It's like it's like well, this guy's good. This guy's good at football. Let me get the ball in his hands a little bit. It's their offense is broken because they really need to block. It's it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's tough. they have they have a limited quarterback and they aren't doing enough to help him. I agree. So I think it's predicated: can we stop the run and can we pressure Ben? And I actually do think that's something that our defense is set up to be able to do. And if that's the case, I think basically first team to twenty four points wins. Yeah, I was gonna say twenty twenty eight. If the team gets to twenty eight, they probably win this game. Yeah, because if they're gonna win, it's because Cam Hayward and TJ Watt take over the game and absolutely like wreck havoc on our offensive line. But I honestly think our offensive line is pretty good. Outside of Kyle Fuller being a gaping hole in the middle, we got Brandon Shell back. Brandon Shell is a really legitimate right tackle, and so that should be enough. Where if Geno can spread the ball around, like their coverage is not good. Yeah, I I. I, I agree. Their defense has not lived up to what, what it should be. It, it, they have the, the players, but it just hasn't hasn't really – I don't know if like just Joe Hayden got old all of a sudden or what. I, I didn't look into it too close. Their defense just didn't look as good as it usually does. So, all right. Eric, do you uh, do you have any Steelers thoughts or do you want to go right to picks? I just want to go right to picks. All right. Give us your pick then. It's going to be a lower scoring game. Seahawks 26. Steelers 17. All right, and I'm gonna go with a uh, with a Seahawks win. I think it will be close. Uh, I do think it will be close, but I'm gonna go with a Seahawks win, uh, 28 to 24. Uh, Kevin, what do you think? Um, let's see. I'm gonna go with <laughs> Kevin's punching some numbers into the spreadsheet right now. Just wait a second. I'm gonna go with Seahawks 23 because I think we're gonna be a little field goal heavy. Um, Seahawks 23 and Steelers 17. All right. Well, there are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so, head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. And for as little as $1.24 a month, you get access to the Patreon pod, get access to uh, to the Discord, come hang out with us. Uh, thank you to those who are donating. Andy, Brett, Greta, James, Carrie, Lucas, Ryan, Timothy, Tom, 
Astro, Bob, Casey, Charles, Daniel, David, Phloctimus, Foles, Jay, Kieran, Leon, Michelle, Mike, Mike, Richard, Thomas, Warwolf, uh, Brandon, and Nick. And thank you to our first sponsor. The sponsorship has ended, but not in our hearts. We love you, Blake. Go check out Washington Fish Quest. This one, this one's on the house, and probably the next couple until someone gives me money to advertise <laughs> something else. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep mentioning it. Check out Blake Washington Fish Quest uh, on YouTube. Pretty fun videos. I, I find, I actually find them quite relaxing and enjoyable. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're good stuff. Did you, uh, did you, uh, did you check it out? He did a taste test this week of uh, different kinds of mushrooms. I, I thought Ooh, that was cool because up my alley. Uh, do you know who do you know who would like that though nathan also from the from the discord who's a vegan Back. chef yeah he, he he digs on the mushrooms so anyway yeah let's get let's get to it movie movie club this week we are in spooky month so we got to do spooky theme movie clubs we're going to do a single movie in a couple weeks um it's a it's a movie where you can't say the name of it though so you have to just figure out that it's um it rhymes with uh, randy's fan uh, so if you want to watch it ahead of time, but, uh, but you can't say the name because then it's, it's bad, but well, one of us could say it and two of us could say it, but if all three of us say it, then it's a problem. I'm not saying it. You can try, you can count on me to be the guy that's not saying it. Cause I've seen that. I've seen both movies now. I'm I've not, seen what happens. I'm not saying it. It's not happened. The first, they no. Uh, anyway, the um, but this week we're doing this week, we're doing a movie that might fit into that, that, uh, that same genre. That that movie that we're gonna cover single, but the, we're gonna do our favorite top five, fave five slasher films. We're going we're going to fave five this week. Last week we did an eliminator for one of our favorite directors, John Carpenter. This week we are doing uh, our fave five slashers. So let's start with Eric. Eric, I know like usually for fave five we all just take one, right? So yeah. give me give me give me yours. As long as it's not horrifically bad to the point where me and Kevin want to argue against you, it's in. So let's let's get one on the on the uh, in the fave five. T Mobile. Okay, Charles Charles Barkley's gonna make some calls to your movie. <laughs> Charles Barkley's covering hockey this year. That choice that? is terrible, Eric. It's terrible. You know, I I'm not a slasher movie guy. I've seen a ton of them though, and so I thought about this when we were talking about it last week. I had a, a little list. I kept coming back to a movie when we were talking about doing slashes this week. I'm confident in this movie being uh, maybe my favorite slasher. Uh, if you guys had to boot it from the list, we could talk about it. But this is the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, I, interesting. And, so I know where a lot of us are going to go. And I, I know there are some, some movies that are going to be on this list. But I want to sell you on this movie. This is the first Freddy movie. This is before it became silly. This is when it was for the time and when I was a kid, when it was still scary. Um, Freddie doing these horrifically weird things like making his arms as wide as the alley. He had knives on one of his hands. Uh, he was also a, a child killer, which is, you know, not not something that is funny. Uh, although, you know, Freddie can make anything funny. He's a master comedian in later movies. Uh, but this movie has a, a nice body count. It has a huge amount of blood. You can uh, feel the terror with the kids, like in these movies where you know no one believes them. No one, no one believes anything they're saying. Although there's evidence that suggests they should probably listen to the kids. Um, things are going on in their dreams. They're dying in their sleep. Um, it's all pretty scary stuff. And I really like Wes Craven with this time. He was a great director. Uh, this is a pretty interesting awesome idea and i i just really want to put this movie on the list i like it quite a bit all right uh all right I, i'm i'm good with it i'm surprised that you went with there first but i'm not surprised that you picked it, it i is, know what i know what other ones will be and so yeah i'm it is a I'm, good it is a great choice to be on the list I'm counting on kevin also you're counting on kevin counting on uh oh uh oh you might be in kevin you're for a world of hurt kevin's gonna pick something weird right off the bat all right uh, Kevin's going to be like, Psycho 2. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh, Kevin, why don't you no, give us... I'm going to give you the next one. Go for it. Go ahead. Oh, you're giving me? Okay, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's my favorite slasher movie. Oh. Um, I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is is super, super good. Um, it's because, uh, like, I think that what I like about this movie is just it. it's... It, it really captures fear. The imagery in this movie is just like super good. I love how like 
tense this movie is and it, it gives you this sense of like fear and claustrophobia that I think is really hard to get in into film that because I mean I'm sitting in my living room you know what I mean like my living room is big I don't I don't but this movie will make me feel like I'm being pressed in from all sides and I just think that that is something that is is really hard to do and um it's a it has a super weird and interesting killer that I that I just love um that I I really um think it's it's good and uh, yeah, I will also say the sound effect when they throw the door open and he hits it with the meat cleaver. Yeah. Um. To this day, I can summon that sound in my head by thinking about that scene, and my stomach always turns just a little bit. It's like, like that's a perfect scene. Yeah, that's here's the way that scene's directed. Oh, really good. It 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 had it's um you just feel exhausted in this movie. You know what I mean? It like it's no, no hopes town. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's dark and it's, I don't know. I think it, 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 when I think slashers, this is the movie I think of, I think of the Texas chainsaw massacre. I, I don't, I don't think of, I think there's other movies I could think of and I think they're going to come up, but this is the movie that I think of as like the quintessential, like slasher movie. So for me, I picked Texas chainsaw massacre. There you go. Kevin. But he's All sawing. Right. He's right. not slashing. He's sawing. So you, yeah, I believe it would be a slashing motion with the saw. You definitely don't. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin ha- we haven't gone astray yet, right? We're so far so good. Um, I mean, I don't like A Nightmare on Elm Street, but I respect what it means to the genre. And so I'm not going to object to that one. Um, so I, I don't do like a, Robert. Not a big Robert England fan. I just I never found Freddy a compelling character. I never found the franchise that, very good. So that is the problem with the movie is like you're either in or you're out on Freddy. Yep. And I have another friend who's a big horror head and he's like, he's like really out on Freddy Krueger. And like, you I kind of am- before, but be out on because of the later movies. It kind of ruined no, it. the original one. I, I just, I've never liked him. When it did it just doesn't it, work for me. How old one, um, so what I like about Nightmare on Elm Street though, just to go back, I want to, I want to kind of back up on this is, um, you know, like, I don't think any, very many movies have been able to capture like when you have a really crappy dream and it like freaks you out and yet that feeling better than that movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like that, just like the, I don't know. I hate like, and I feel like the first one steered into that aspect the most. And that is the best aspect of the movie. Yeah. And I, that's kind of what I re- like about the movie. Anyway, that, the, the, that blend of dream and reality is cool, but the, yes, there's, there's a, there's definitely the first half of the movie is, is kind of boring. And yeah, anyway, so go ahead. I think all of us are going to have pretty similar thoughts on this, which is um, the, the slasher genre is full of cliches mm-hmm. and it's full of recycled concepts. And so you really have to go for something either out there or something that is playing on that or something that started it. And those are the three ways to get an interesting slasher movie. And so you went to the year I was looking at, but not the movie I was looking at, Nathan, because I have 1974's Black Christmas. Wow. Okay. Um, this movie uh, it is basically the original uh, sorority house slasher flick. Um, it has some kind of cool uh, like social commentary going on. It's got a Margot Kidder uh, appearance in it. Um, actually generally the acting in it is really good. The characters are well-developed, which is something that does not happen often in slasher movies. Um, the, the, it has some really, um, unique and clever kills and some really good scares without it being reliant on jump scares. Uh, it's, it's iconic. It's set up a lot of tropes that end up being copied in later years. Um, it's one of the earliest and one of the best. I like Black Christmas, so I'm not going to argue too hard against it. I I think that um, it's my second favorite slasher that involves phone calls. <laughs> so <laughs> so so that 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 puts it down a, a notch for me. Like I would take Scream over over uh, uh, Black Christmas. But okay, I well, let's get into that because I think Scream should be on this list, too, because it is the best um, movie that is playing on the tropes. And that was almost my pick. Yeah, I think Scream is a shoe in. I think Scream also, is it's fi- Wes Craven's best movie. Don't at me. Yeah, I I can agree with that too. I think Scream is so good. It's I want to I want to put three Wes Craven movies on this list. That's that's I want to make people mad and leave Halloween off. Um, uh, no, I I strongly object to that. <laughs> that's where put, I was counting put, on Kevin. Put like the Hills Have Eyes on on here or something. No, the Hills Have Eyes is <laughs> no. I think I think Halloween has to be on there because that's another one where um, I feel like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
uh, Black Christmas and Halloween. Between those three movies, you have three of the foundational slasher flicks that the tropes get played off of those movies. Here's the thing. If, if we if we pick Halloween, Scream, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Black Christmas, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, we're basically picking the five top-rated slasher movies on uh, Letterboxd. I just want to make that 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 known. I just want you guys to know that we're really going. This is like this would be like picking, you know, like Tom Brady Patriots to win the Super Bowl. It's just very chalky what we're doing. And are you guys, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with going with the chalk. Do you guys do you guys want to just go with the chalk? Are you okay with that? These are our movies. I well, like I mean, them. if I'm if I'm arguing to boot any of these movies, it's Nightmare on Elm Street, and I don't feel like doing that to Eric. So thank you. I I, I would I would boot Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I what. I like You're how both hater. of you guys shit on my movie, and the minute I say, "Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa!" What? I I supported your movie after I, after, and the very last thing you said, and it's boring uh, to have first. The, the first so. thirty minutes of that movie are not that good. Like you got it. You got to set up a movie. It can't just be all kills right away for no reason. I like that I had story. Yeah, uh, okay. I would like if if we're going non chalky on this. My bloody Valentine is an odd choice. It would I think it should get an honorable mention. I don't think it should be on this list. I think Happy Death Day is really fun. Yeah, I never saw that. It looked really good. Um, Sleepaway geez. Camp. Sleepaway <laughs> Camp is iconic and has... Um, it's so fun. Uh, first of all, only movie to kill someone with cream corn. I just I feel like that needs to put out there. Thank you, Kevin. Um, and it's also horrifying. And also it has one of the most iconic final shots in movie history for all the reasons you know if you know. I... I don't know. I can't really think of other like Tucker and Dale that... versus evil, I think would be another good pick, but am I going to put that over the top of scream for the movie that blends like making fun of its own genre? I don't see that. Like scream is just kind of too perfect at that. All right. So here's what we'll do. Uh, tell us a slasher that we should watch that could displace one of these movies in our, in our fave five for Kevin, for Eric, we will see you guys next week and go Hawks. <laughs>